This is Financial Detox, helping you retire with confidence. Featuring Jason Labrum, certified financial planner and founder of IDA Wealth, intelligence-driven advisors. For over 20 years, Jason has shown people how to steer clear of toxic advice, achieve financial peace of mind, and manage their wealth for maximum impact. Join Jason and co-host Alex Klingensmith as they simplify the complex, share industry secrets, and provide proven strategies designed to take you from financial insecurity to financial independence. This is Financial Detox. Hello, welcome to Financial Detox. It's Jason Labram, your host in studio with Alex Klingensmith. Alex, what do we got? Happy happy uh, birthday show, right? Happy birthday to you, man. <laughs> You're it's a young 40-something. Something like yeah. that. Don't tell anybody. Secret. I did actually told somebody just before the show. No. Yeah. How old I, I was told or told them what? That we were celebrating the founder and CEO's birthday. They were, uh, we were, you know, they asked a story. They were getting, mm-hmm. it was a new potential client introduced nice. by someone, by a great partner. And they wanted to hear the story of the firm. So I shared with them the story of the firm. Oh, and cool. I said, by the way, it's Jason's birthday and we had lunch and we're going to play some cornhole. And how old is he? Yeah. And I said, 40 something. Cause that's like the polite way yeah. to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> and they're like, really? Like he's that young? And I'm like, I'm like, well, he's not that young. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen him. He looks sixty-seven. <laughs> no, it was a, it was fun. It was yeah. Um, it is. Impri- I think it probably does take some people by surprise, like the age of in this industry, at least, right? Yeah, the average age of the financial advisor is what fifty-seven years old. So they you something say so. around there. I, I it's mean, definitely older than than you. It's probably like my Nasdaq statistic. I'm 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 close, but I'm I'm probably off a little bit too. The Nasdaq, they will, which we're going to talk about on the show later. Yeah, yeah. right, right. That one. I think I'm always very, very close, but I'm always also off. Well, like a, like, <laughs> like you're also probably rounding to your favor a tiny bit, perhaps. Maybe like 57. I don't know how that's to your favor to say the average advisor is 57, but the average advisor is definitely in their 50s, not 40s. Oh no, it's above 55 for sure. Yeah, it, only second to like the CPA industry, tax preparer industry. They're actually older than financial advisor. Financial advisory business, the industry is full of older. Why? I guess because well, there's probably males. a few reasons why. Maybe one is because when you're growing up and you're in college, you're not like I really want to become. A, maybe you were weird and you, you did weird. that. You wanted totally that. weird. Also, I feel like probably it's hard to become a financial advisor when you're super young because nobody trusts you. <laughs> As they shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, I think back and just thank God and and my clients for the trust and confidence that they gave me when I was 25 years old, had no money, but yet was convincing, trying to convince 55 and 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds that I was the solution to their life savings but at least you had a big name behind you which can be a misleading thing right very like i feel like so we have an advisor thomas he's 28 and so he's on the younger end for sure but he does literally have the resources and the collective wisdom of the whole firm so that the client isn't just put betting on just thomas you know well you know what's interesting that's a good point because you think about i was at merrill lynch at the time and then and then smith barney which turned into morgan stanley six years at each but it was, I think, the only reason, one of the reasons why I could survive is because I had a big name. People were like, well, Merrill Lynch hired him. He must be okay, right? He must always, or they, they figured, I think that the general population believes that Merrill Lynch is like telling me what to do for my clients. And I'm just kind of like an all-state agent, you know, where I put them in the system and the system pumps out the results. Yeah, What true. they don't realize is that I was literally picking from this gigantic menu of, any and everything that I could possibly give to the clients. 
Um, most of them um, n- not disclosing all the full conflicts of interest to clients because there was compensation being received by the firm for selling certain products. But you had like a mentor, a team sort of, right? Eh, not really. Um, no. I mean, I had a mentor guy, but you know, he wasn't helping me with my clients. I mean, if I had a question, I'd go to him. But no. So what really was happening is those clients were investing in me, thank goodness. And I was motivated and hardworking and doing the things I needed to do. But they were trusting me in a silo, in a vacuum of my own knowledge to manage their life savings when I could have done options. We talked about that before the show. I could have done managed accounts. I could have done bonds. I could have done te- all technology. I could have mixed, I could have done anything for them. Yeah. And that's the problem with, I think, the financial industry. And one of the things we talk about in the book, Financial Detox, is just the, the fact that whether you go to a lot of these firms, most well-known name brand firms, you go into that office. If you talk to 10 different advisors, guy, gal, young, old, doesn't matter, in that office, you would highly likely get 10 completely different sets of advice. There's not 10 right ways to do things for people. So that means that several of those, if not all of them, would be maybe not the best way to do it. That's this, scary. This is actually a perfect segue into what I wanted to bring up today, which is one of the more fun, exciting things that happened this year so yeah. far in, in the investing world. Um, it is, and all, honestly, it's so refreshing to have a story that is not political pandemic. That's probably why I want right. to talk about this and right. like it's more fun. Right. And also we kind of know about this because it's 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 investing stuff. Right. So like the whole GameStop short squeeze, right? I think it's for me, it was an awesome thing that happened because it was interesting. <laughs> it, the people that it hurt, it hurt financially that probably were doing things they shouldn't have been doing anyways. Um, and I think it shed a lot of light and and, a, and excitement around something. So I thought for a minute we could talk about it because what they're doing there was it's options, right? It's it's a it's a way of a, it's a very aggressive form of investing. And then I want people to hear what our position is on that particular type of investing and does it fit in, into our investment philosophy and if so, where and how might people kind of glean some sort of wisdom from it now that it's in the rearview mirror because GameStop that whole thing's over. But check this out. So here's a stat for you. This is the number I saw: twenty eight percent of Americans. This is a gigantic number. It's how many, we have a, how many? 350 million or so. Get plus 28% of Americans <laughs> did what? bought GameStop. Did you? Or no. Or <laughs> other viral stock in January. That was a Harris poll uh, through Yahoo Finance. 28% have bought it. So if you look at the price, the chart, the stock you know went from $2 to $400. Everybody bought it. And then it went back down to $40. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting in itself, too. <laughs> I like the story because what it what it does, and, and there's so much of it we don't know, and I'll never know all the stuff, so don't, I'm not an expert. You know, we're not experts on, you know. GameStop market timing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the concepts, Vegas. The concepts are interesting, right? Yes. I mean, you've got, you've got this group of retail investors. I told you, I actually joined Reddit. I never yeah. even had Reddit. I, right. I added Reddit as an app on my phone. I joined Wall Street Bets, the group of people that were talking about all this yeah. stuff. Like the exact day that they that it became news, like so I was early on to the. I was so curious to see what these people were saying. What were I'm they like, saying? Just they're so funny. Like they're intelligent, witty, funny, <laughs> and they're silly. They make fun of themselves. They call themselves retard. I mean, that's not a nice word, but they call themselves all kinds of things. Basically, saying we're not smart. We just like the stock. Also, try not to get in trouble, probably right. for you know right, misleading right. investors, or whatever. For leading or, they, or <laughs> yeah, they were and they they create these really innovative, creative videos. Where you know they're making fun of all the big hedge funds that they were 
trying to squeeze, you know, and who knows who, what, what's crazy about social media and you know me, like ever oh, since man. our one show we did Social media this. is so bad. I don't have it. I don't use it. It's the worst. But here I am on Reddit, like watching all this, which is social media, by the way. Oh, yeah. I'm watching it. I'm like, gosh, this is why I don't like social media. Like this is at least entertaining to me, but it, people probably lost a lot of money. In that well, way. if you think about 28% of Americans bought it at a high, it was at 400, it's worth 40. What's that loss? 88%, 90% loss? I mean, you lost your money. Um, and it's that's not, sad and it's scary. very likely not to come back ever again. Give us a call at 877-707-8889 or financialdetox.com. We love our listener questions. So give us some listener questions, shoot them in. Um, you can check us out on financialdetox.com. Get us your listener questions. We'll ask them live on the air. It's Financial Detox. We're back. Alex and Jason Labrum. And we are talking about... Jason's birthday. Yay. Woohoo! 40-ish. 40-ish. 40-ish years old. Almost 50-ish. Um, it is ironic that you're... Not ironic. It's probably how it was built. God's plan for you is that your birthday fell right in the middle of the good part of ski season. Right. It's perfect. For the Northern Hemisphere. Do you know how many powder days I've had on my birthday? And mine's in, in late July, so it's perfect for like the summer. You Sorry. know? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, I was just thinking about that today for my 50th coming up some point in the future. Um, I want to go to the Maldives because that's my one of my favorite places. I thought world. we were going to go this year. I would actually exchange the <laughs> – we should. I would actually exchange a great powder day of skiing for a perfect day of Maldives surfing. That surprises me. shouldn't. You wow. know how good it is surfing warm water, uncrowded. It's just the well. Best. I mean, it's easy for me to say I like to surf all the time, but mine's I'd rather like do that. Heavily skewed that way. Like I will. Yeah, you said a perfect day of surfing. Okay, so what would you rather? A perfect. Well, you you pick surfing. I pick surfing over golf and, a and perfect, skiing every time. Oh yeah, surf golf comes way below the two. <laughs> like ten out of ten times, I'd choose the surfing. Yeah, <laughs> I'd go surfing. Then I would go a perfect day of powder skiing, and then I'd go to. I'd surf head high ponto over perfect snowy mammoth. You know, even in the winter. I know. Really? Yeah, I really would. That's sickness, dude. Well, it's right down the street, too. Maybe that's why. Right. As soon as you know you didn't have to travel, you just got to compare the activity to the activity. A perfect day at Mammoth? Like, that's that's a Wednesday after a crowded weekend, and it snowed Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and you're going to ski basically powder all day. I don't know. This is what options trading does to people, by the way. So, like, derivatives of things. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The GameStop thing. Back to that first thing. What I was going to say was what I loved about the story was that there's some really, really smart people that were involved in all that. The hedge funds being really, really smart people. Sometimes they are. I don't know. They at least pretend they are. They're really good at making other people think they're smart. Their whole premise was they're betting on a company to fail publicly fail like literally the stock to go down because it's shorting it yeah so they're, they're selling it. the stock that they don't have anticipating that they're going to buy it back when it's worth less money yep okay. and so a group of retail investors allegedly because i don't even know if this is all true but this yeah. is what i read on my probably other hedge funds who are mad <laughs> at the, the yeah. shorting hedge funds to try and make it go long to make money on the long my diamond hands buddies that are in that little group were talking about all this stuff for a while and they got they got enough people or enough buzz around it to create more demand so then everybody's buying that stock and not selling it, forcing then the hedge funds that had shorted it to, to buy it also, which is like a spiraling effect, right? And they, then it goes up even more because yeah. now you have nobody on the sell side, only people on the buy side. So the bid is huge. The ask is not there. Robinhood and- freezes trading for a day or two, right? Oh. However long it was, which is Robin, which by the way, I don't think when you think about it, it's not against the law. They're a business and if they are not able to fulfill their trade orders, 
they literally can't do it. Like they, you know, they tried to get the everyone tried to come down on them and mad at them. Like they're the they're mean bad company. Yeah. They literally weren't able to do what they're supposed to do because it was more demand than they've ever seen. Right. They're not Schwab or so it overwhelmed or, their systems. It froze their whole. They had three. I read somewhere three billion dollars they had to come up with an investor money to bail them out of that one day's trades. Whoa, three billion dollars. That's a big number. That's a bad day. It's, that's a, I'd be super stressed if I was the CEO of Robinhood, A right? billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. <laughs> I mean, so all this stuff to me is like, there's really smart people. There's logic behind why somebody would want to buy a GameStop just if they read some things here and there. Well, but, they, they fundamentally and or quantitatively or qualitatively believe that that stock is going to have upside surprise and new information that the public otherwise doesn't know about. And therefore, it's good reason to own that individual stock. Yeah, but it was Problem, also public, though, it wasn't. It was, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was a joke. It was a big was a feeding joke. frenzy of sheep sheep mentality. So I want to go back to the point. So of you're the, not going to bite on that feeding frenzy of sheep mentality or shark. Should I say shark mentality? Like, no, I think I think yes, all those things for sure. Okay. But I think that the point of why we bring it up on the show like what this is the point is <laughs> options. Do options have a place? In I don't it? know if options had anything to do with that. I mean, well, that's what started the whole thing, right? Was was the options that the hedge funds had bought the short. Well, maybe they just sold it short and they didn't even have an option. Didn't have to be an option. They could have just sold the stock short. Or derivatives, I guess. Well, I mean, if they bought a derivative, an option or something, maybe, right? By by basically, um, you know, I I guess that's part of it. And probably was because it cost them less money to control more stock. So does that kind of investing have a place in a a solid investment philosophy? Like if I'm an investor and I'm saying I want to earn money through hard work, save it and invest it. Like, where does that have a place in my investment strategy options. or does it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, options are really tricky. They're high risk, right? Or they can be low risk depending on which options you do. But risk and return are almost always related. There's very few exceptions, particularly in the public marketplace. And options provide a really attractive, efficient way for you to lose a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and they also provide some ways for you to hedge out particular positions. So look, options are really good for certain people. Concentrated stock positions um, to, to get your way out of a concentrated stock position. We use options. So we use options to get people out of other risks, basically. Right. Yeah. Like somebody retires from a company and they have $3 million in one company stock and a million dollars in other investments. That's too much money in one stock. So, but they don't want to sell it all today because they have a huge tax gain. So what do we do is we can protect it by buying a put, an option, paying money for the right to make somebody buy that stock at a particular price. And that's great because it's it's basically insurance. You just insured that position. Also, one of the things we do a lot and have some fun with is selling covered calls. So if a client has a stock position that they don't mind selling at today's price, um, but why not diversify some of the tax liability? We'll sell somebody the right to buy the stock a buck or two above where it is today. We make money when we sell it. Some of that money that we made, that premium goes to pay a lot of the tax gain. So it's kind of interesting for someone who doesn't know options as well. I'm going to like simplify what you just said and translate it into layman's terms or yeah. my terms, actually. Sure. The reason, the only, or the main ways that we ever would use options for a client is to get them out of something they're stuck in. Yeah. <laughs> and or protect it along the way. Pretty much. And I mean, I think a lot of, there, there are some advisors who say this is part of their core philosophy, right? And they use options. I know a guy who I used to uh, play some golf with who, who basically takes his whole portfolio and all he does is, is do options. All he does is, is sell puts. He sells people the right to make him buy a stock. 
most of the time the stock doesn't go down and he doesn't have to buy the stock and in the meantime he makes some income so i mean there are some strategies that i think if you deployed you know and it caught you really knew what you were doing and you had a disciplined process and procedure around them it could be okay probably not social media driven short squeezes though that would you know that one would fall probably towards the lower end of the process driven you know disciplined investment (laughs) speculative and very short-term insight but it was a fun story man i'm telling you that the stuff that i was reading was was the most entertained i'd ever been on social media well it must have been because why did 50 people were asking me about i was not following it that closely i know you didn't mention it once i I mean i was just like like, this is stupid. You know, so, so yeah, there's some short squeeze going on. There's a bunch of people jumping on the bandwagon and, and it, I never really got into it. And now to see that so many people lost so much money, it's, it's sad because there were probably r- real individuals who didn't have enough money to be gambling, yeah. who took 20,000 or 30,000 or a hundred or 200 and bought GameStop thinking it's going to go to a thousand. Cause I heard somebody say game I, on CNBC. It's going to go to the moon. I heard somebody saying they it's going to a thousand. There's no way it's not going to a thousand. <laughs> and so some guy buys it at 420 thinking it's going to a thousand. And in four days later, it's at 40 and he's like going home to his wife saying, baby, we just, uh, yeah, we, we need, it's a life changing. We need to go get credit cards out and we're totally doomed. I mean, that's bad. You know, we're contemplating screwball. And what's that? This is uh, Tennessee honey. Is it Jack good? Daniels? Is it good? It's really good. Really? I'd share, but it's it's like COVID or whatever. Yeah, we can't share. We anymore. can't share some <laughs> micro shots. No, none of that right now. Very cool. Yeah, we're having some fun in the studio today because it's it's my birthday. So we can. We can. You, gave, you told a great story earlier today about a client conversation you have and you gave a metaphor. I love this client. I mean, I love the guy. I just, I wish we were better connected. We'll get there eventually. It's a matter of earning trust over time and stuff. But, you know, so we talked about the GameStop frenzy. We talk, I don't know what we talked about in the first segment, but whatever. We talked about it. And... Uh, <laughs> um, Oh, we talked a little bit about Robin Hood and I don't know what else. But <laughs> I'm not even going to remind you because it's funny. Okay, good. Dumb. Now we're going to talk we're about, talk another, about invest- <laughs> another investment mistake people make, which is narrow framing their yes. decisions around certain things. So NASDAQ was one that came up. To- so, yeah. So here's the biggest thing is, right? I mean, people say this all the time. You got to get this. If, if, you're, if you're an investor at all and you have money invested, please get this right, right? Detoxify yourself financially from this standpoint. The S&P 500 and or the NASDAQ and or the Dow Jones. That is not the stock market. That is a tiny, tiny piece of the stock market. Well, it's 630 big companies. Uh, yeah, right, of about 44,000 or so. So is it well diversified across many segments? Sure. Um, is it almost predominantly all large companies, big large companies? Yes. Um, is there some small caps spattered out throughout the NASDAQ? Yeah, but not much. So basically, it's not a good representation of the total market. So the NASDAQ is a real hot index right now, right? All the tech stocks, the so Fangs, right the Googles, the Netflix, Tesla? the no, Tesla, S&P. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, that's embarrassing. Anyway, the it's hot, right? NASDAQ is crushing it. NASDAQ had a huge year last year. Uh, there was a tech fund up 67%. I mean, it reminds me of when TCW technology was up 211% in March of, or in 2000, um, or 1999. Sorry, I'm 1999, it was up 211%. <laughs> this TC- is one evidence point as to why. So the point of this is that there's, you're going to give two pieces of evidence and timeframes where to prove Yes. That these are not the market. Right. So here's the deal. First of all, 
we know that these the Nasdaq is a small segment of the market and it is a race car. It is a Porsche GTS Carrera Turbo 4. I mean, this thing is bad to the bones, right? It can rip. It can go 220 miles an hour straight away. That's kind of all it does. Um, it doesn't pull. You can't pull a boat with it. You can't haul wood to your house to do a yard project. You know, you can't put six people in it. it so it's, it's, it's limited. It does a certain thing and it does it well. If you want a high octane portfolio that's just all juiced, focused on one particular segment, which can get really hot at times, NASDAQ makes all kinds of sense. That should be part of every portfolio. Should it be all of a portfolio? Probably not. Should it be what you compare your diversified utility vehicle, the portfolio that can go through all kinds of weather, literally, and all kinds of markets, the portfolio that can tow a boat, the portfolio that can haul your garbage, the portfolio that you can put six people in, the portfolio that's going to create income for you throughout your whole life, throughout your whole life, and help you retire well with peace of mind and sleep well at night? No, it's not it's not it's not a good comparison right so the comparison is you know the the diversified or the sport utility vehicle is the diversified portfolio the Porsche 911 Carrera is the Nasdaq and you want some of the Nasdaq in your portfolio you want some features you want your utility vehicle to have giddy up to get and go but you want it to do a bunch of other things here's the problem you know if you invested in the Nasdaq in in 2000 when Tons of people did because it was hot. It was like GameStop. Dot com it was going, man. Everybody wanted some of that dot com. It was awesome. It was new things. AOL was going up 25 points a day. It was bitching. Um, it was at 5,000 in 2000. 5,000 was the price of the NASDAQ. That was the price of it. If you had invested in then, you would have been down, negative, underwater, in the red for... 16 to 17 years before you got back to even. You were down negative. It took till 2016 or 17-ish until the NASDAQ NASDAQ 100 reached again that 5,000 number. So the problem with that fast bitching sports car that everybody loves and thinks is really sexy and cool is sometimes they go off the rails. Sometimes they, 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 they crash, right? Sometimes they get a little squirrely on, running, on, on, on icy roads. Sometimes, you know, you need to stop and pull your boat and you can't pull it because it doesn't work. So it breaks down. It doesn't work all the time. And so my analogy, and we'll wrap it up, was just a client said, you know, how did we do? I said, you know, we did 14%. He's in a very conservative portfolio because he wants to be in a conservative portfolio because he should because he panics when the market goes down for two days. He doesn't in a row. need to take more risk than anyways. He doesn't need the plan, risk. Right? He's got a targeted rate of return. He's in a beautiful portfolio and he's crushing it, beating his comparative benchmarks. He's doing better than the market for how he's invested risk return analysis. And he says, but we didn't do as well as the NASDAQ. Get diversified, build an investment philosophy, make sense of this. Don't have a herd mentality. Don't be a sheep. You know, be a lion, pick a different strategy, be bold, do what's right, um, and, and, and build a philosophy and discipline. You'll do much better. If you want help doing that, the Financial Detox Team and Intelligence Driven Advisors can help you. Give us a call at 877-707-8889. That's 877-707. 8889 and you can check us out at financialdetox.com. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we'll Happy birthday. Check. Thanks, Ox. All right. Financial <laughs> Detox. We'll check you next week. Bye-bye. To learn more about Financial Detox and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and resources, visit financialdetox.com.
Call Jason and the team at Intelligence Driven Advisors. If you're ready for financial detox and a better tomorrow, call 877-707-8889. Get answers to your questions. That's 877-707-8889. That's financialdetox.com for podcasts and information. And if you like what you've heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That way, you'll be notified about upcoming podcasts. You'll take one more step toward financial peace of mind. This content is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any types of securities. Mr. Labram and intelligence-driven advisors are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken as a result of information provided in this program and do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information provided. The information discussed today reflects the views of Mr. Labram and his guests as of the date of the show and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Any forward looking statements or forecasts are based on assumptions and actual results may vary from any such statements or forecasts. No reliance should be placed on any statements or forecasts when making an investment decision. Accordingly, listeners should not rely solely on information provided today in making any investment decisions. There is a risk of loss of investing in securities, including the risk of loss of principal. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will be profitable or suitable for particular investors, financial situation, or risk tolerance. Asset allocation and portfolio diversification cannot assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses.